This is Fire Rescue One Side Alpha Podcast, putting fire service leaders in front of hot topics facing firefighters today. Now here's the executive editor of FireRescueOne.com and FireChief.com, Chief Mark Bashore. We're here today with Dr. Dennis O'Neill, the Deputy United States Fire Administrator. Dr. O'Neill, how are you doing today? Good, Mark. It's good to hear your voice. Thanks for joining us. I appreciate the opportunity to spend some time with you and uh, with our listeners and and hope that we can uh, talk a little bit today uh, in three basic areas. And I want to start with uh, the United States Fire Administration. And I know that uh, you've you've got a long and storied history with the United States Fire Administration. And um, just want to talk a little bit about the mission of the organization and, and what's important there to you to get across to our listeners. Mark, the, uh, the mission of the Fire Administration is really in four principal areas, that, and that was, evolves from the law that created us. Uh, the first is training. Uh, the second is data collection and analysis. The third is research. And the fourth is public education and community risk reduction. And I'll just kind of give you a brief overview. I think everyone understands the National Fire Academy. If they've ever been here once, they've been back more than once. Uh, it's just one of those great experiences that, that uh, people get to meet men and women from all over the United States. Uh, they discuss the kinds of issues that they face in their own local departments. Many times they come to the National Fire Academy, think that they have the worst conditions in their department, of course, until they meet the other 24 or 5 students in the class, and then they leave understanding that they're pretty lucky. But uh, we also have uh, a tremendous training program that we deliver through each state training system. All 50 states receive training through us. And uh, we also have a pretty, a very robust uh, online learning system, which is uh, we have mediated learning where you interact with instructors very similar to uh, what you'd experience at a university at the undergraduate or graduate level. So last year, the uh, National Fire Academy trained about 140,000 uh, firefighters across the country uh, here in residence in Emmitsburg in every state training system through, through local training and then uh, online. If they decide to come to the National Fire Academy, of course, in Emmitsburg, uh, we give them their airfare, round-trip airfare. We pick them up at the airport. They get a private room, private bath, remote control, color TV, and all the training is free. And uh, so it's a pretty remarkable experience. The second area is the uh, data shop. And um, as you well know, it's an area that the fire service has uh, some opportunity for improvement. But there's a great story out of uh, Philadelphia. The fire commissioner is a good friend of mine, Adam Teal. And um, when Adam became the commissioner about three years ago, uh, he realized that the um, the data system, the reports weren't coming in. They weren't accurate. They weren't completing the reports. Um, even when they did complete the reports, they kind of pencil whipped them and didn't give all the information, perhaps as accurately as they could have. And Commissioner Teal went through and um, kind of took names and uh, kicked butt a little bit, and uh, started to enforce the requirement that they complete these reports accurately. And as many people know, but some probably don't, he added five engine companies, two ladder companies, and two battalion chiefs using Infra's data. And he justified the expansion of the department based on that data. And it's a tremendous story. And this is, Philadelphia is, everybody knows it. It's an old city. It's not expanding. It's not growing in terms of geography. It's just the data he used 
to, com to convince the city council that the fire department is a worthwhile service and they're performing a remarkable service in the city of Philadelphia. And if you want to talk about old fire departments, it goes back to Ben Franklin. So um, any department that's looking to expand, we have the opportunities for them to do that. If they're having problems collecting the data, if they're having problems with training people to complete the forms, they can contact our offices and we can give them online training, classroom training, we can give them training through the states, uh, and we'll give them technical assistance. That, that's a pretty amazing story, talking about uh, uh, Philadelphia and just being able to use that data to expand the department. You know, we're not talking about, um, like you said, it's, it's not a new city and it's not really growing its boundaries, uh, but to come in and use that data to expand the department, is that's a pretty phenomenal story and a strong statement of uh, the capacity of data to uh, really make a difference in how the National Fire Academy can help. That's uh, it's great for our, our, our listeners to hear. You tell me one other metropolitan-sized fire department that added seven companies and two battalions in that short amount of time. Yeah, pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. No one's telling that story. Yeah. <clears throat> Mark, the third area is uh, research, and um, I, I can go through everything from uh, what they call conspicuity, the visibility of fire vehicles, to protective clothing, PPE, to uh, active shooter incidents, and all of those reports are on our webpage. They can download them. We also have a remarkable library uh, of folks. And if they have any questions, any areas of interest, we've got either the report or the research in the library to help any fire chief in America answer the questions or face the challenges that they're facing. And then finally, uh, the, our pub ed and our community risk reduction area. And I have to tell this story because it's, I, I think, one of the better things that we've ever done at the fire administration. Um, we have always had a challenge with languages in the United States. And often we get calls from fire departments that want fire prevention, community risk reduction information in other languages. And as hard as we try, even in, in basic languages like Spanish, we would spend the money to translate it and we'd go out and test it in the marketplace and they'd say, oh, no, that's not the Spanish that we speak or that's not the dialect or nobody's going to understand that. And it was just frustrating. And one, one of our staffers was coming back from a conference and pulled out the safety card and the airplane and looked at it and realized that there was nothing on that card that's in any language at all it's all pictographs. So they went about developing fire prevention, public education, community risk reduction pictographs. And then they started with small, like 10 or 12. They went out into the marketplace. They tested it in the five major languages that we speak in the United States. Uh, I, I'm going to get this wrong, but Spanish, Indian, Chinese, there's a couple of others. And they all came back positive. Everybody understood it. We now have about 80 pictographs in public education and fire prevention that any fire department can go on our webpage, download it, put it all, put their name all over it. But we don't, we don't claim any authenticity or, or uh, require them to give us any credit. They can take credit themselves. And these pictographs are just going like crazy. I just, just one of those serendipitous things that no one ever thought about, and they're revolutionizing community risk reduction. So those are our four big areas, training, uh, national fire incident reporting system and data. We have research available to every fire chief in America and, of course, public education and community risk reduction. And any fire chief, career or volunteer, big department or small, 
can give us a call, and we'll do everything we can to help them out. Oh, that's fantastic. So I know that uh, they can reach you through the website at usfa.fema.gov. Uh, and again, as you said, any fire chief can reach out and get the information, get the help, uh, maybe even give uh, the administration an idea uh, that uh, they need researched or, or something to that effect. Is there another way for folks to reach out, uh, a, a main phone number for those that might not have web address? Sure. Uh, our phone number is 301-447-1000. That's 301-447-1000. And uh, they can give us a call, normal business hours. Somebody will be here to help them out. Sure. Oh, fantastic. So that's, that's great, usfa.fema.gov or 301-447-1000 to reach out. And I want to emphasize again for our listeners that uh, any fire chief, paid, uh, volunteer, a combination department, a big city like Philadelphia, um, a, a small town, a small county, anybody has access to the information that the United States Fire Administration um, has. And for the last 45 years, the United States Fire Administration has been supporting the fire service. And um, Dr. O'Neill mentioned the uh, diversity of people that come there uh, from a, not only a, a knowledge base, but from an experience base, which is going to carry us into the next area. And we talk about uh, mentorship, and we talk about, uh, as you, you mentioned, folks coming to to the fire academy thinking that they're either the worst or the best, and they happen to be in a class or in a group with folks when they're there for a weekend or for a week or two, and they form new relationships and new friendships, and maybe they either mentor somebody or um, they find a mentor, and they find out that it's not all about their department, which is a lot of times folks that haven't had the opportunity to travel, that's their only vision is, is what they've seen in front of them. So can we talk a little bit about uh, mentorship at the academy? And then I'd like to be able to uh, work into this, uh, your story and the story of how you were given a chance uh, and how um, mentorship made a difference for you in your career. Sure. Um, I, I think where I'd like to begin with, uh, with that mentorship and that experience of coming to the National Fire Academy, um, I, I don't know that how many fire chiefs uh, can talk about Plato. Um, I tend to think that everyone does, but um, Plato wrote a story in his Republic, uh, the book Republic, um, and it's called The Allegory of the Caves. <clears throat> and I'll give you the Reader's Digest version of the story. There's a society of people, and they're living in a cave, and they're all chained to the wall, their backs are to a wall, and behind them uh, there's a fire burning. And uh, because of that fire, uh, there are shadows being created on the wall in front of them, people walking by, and, and uh, this is their life. This is what they see every day is the shadows on the wall going back and forth. And finally, um, someone in the group breaks free of the chains and walks outside the cave and uh, into the sunlight, and of course, because it's the sunlight and the difficulty of his eyes adjusting, he can't see immediately, and, and he's kind of feeling around, but all of a sudden he realizes that, that outside the cave, there's trees, and there's birds, and there's sky, and there's glass, and there's water, and there's animals, and he realizes that what he saw in the cave is not reality, that, that he had, to, when he went outside the cave, he discovered really what reality, what the world is like. 
And he goes back into the cave, and of course, once again, his eyes have difficulty adjusting to the darkness now. And he's kind of feeling around, and everybody that's chained to the wall looks at him and they say, he's blind. He's being punished. He's blinded because he went outside the cave. We're going to stay in the cave. We don't want to be blind. And he tries to convince them that, no, 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 these shadows that you're looking at on the wall, that's not reality. Reality is the trees and the water and the birds and the animals and the grass and the sky. And, and they're shaking their heads saying, no, 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 we're comfortable here in the cave. These shadows, this is our reality. We know what we're doing. And I equate coming to a place like the National Fire Academy or your state training system, getting out of your organization as getting out of the cave, as seeing the world as, it, as it, it's a different place and being exposed to new ideas and new sights and sounds and experiences. And, uh, you know, I tell our students here that when you leave the National Fire Academy, you're going back into the cave. And they're going to tell you that's not the way we do it here, you know, and uh, and you're going to be dealing with change. And I tell them, so when you feel like you've got to get back out of the cave, you know, come back and see us. And, and of course, many of them do. But uh, mentorship is something that we all experience. And mentorship is something I know, Mark, that you have provided to hundreds of firefighters and your experiences in fire departments in Virginia down in Prince George's County, your two-tour uh, fire chief, and now you're a fire chief in Florida. And, um, and and you're a pretty remarkable man for doing that. And, of course, I mentor a lot of people here out of the fire academy and the fire administration, um, you know, getting people into graduate school or they'll come in and see me and they'll want to talk about their careers and, you know, you figure out where they are and where they need to go and how they're going to get there. And um, But the, the story that I tell is a story of a soldier um, – and today, uh, the media take great effort to um, to to tell the story of the soldier. That whether you agree with or disagree with our nation's policy about war or use of force, that the men and women who bear arms in our name always deserve our support. But it was not always so. Uh, in the late '60s and early '70s, the media and the public confused the war and the warrior and uh, that the soldiers coming back uh, were not treated very well. And, um, and that's just a matter of fact. And there's a story about um, a soldier that went up to his local college to sign up for school. And um, this was an ad, a period called Ad Drop. This is where the students had taken a class for one week, and they realized that this course is way too hard. I don't want to work this hard. I want to get an easy A in art appreciation or something. And uh, so they had to go to the admissions office and drop the hard course and try to sign up for an easy course. And the soldier went up to the, the admissions office, and, and it was a huge room. And it was just filled with kids, and they were all waving paper. This was a time before computers. And uh, the soldiers watching all this. And there were about six people up at the front counter, and there was no line. It was a mob scene. And um, they were taking one student at a time, and they took the looked at the paper. And if there was, if the paper was one thing wrong on it, they sent them back out into the crowd. They told them you had to correct it and you know come back up. And if everything on the paper was perfect, um, they would get down through this paper list of courses and vacancies and whether the classes were filled or not filled and whether they could change the course. And 
the soldier was watching this, and it, it, it wasn't going to be a too positive experience. And But he made his way up to the front of the room, and this middle-aged guy named Walter turned around. And uh, so what do you want, kid? And the soldier said, well, I, I want to sign up for school. And Walter looked at him, and he said, this is a drop. You can't sign up for school now. You should have signed up, you know, months ago. Did you fill out an application to come to this school? And the soldier said, no, I didn't. And Walter said, well, did you take your SAT exams? And the soldier said, no, no, I didn't. And Walter said, I'm sorry, kid. You should have done this months ago. You can't do this now. And the soldier said, well, I, I couldn't. I was in the Army, and I just came home. And Walter said, when did you get home? And the soldier said, three days ago. And Walter picked up a piece of paper, and he turned around, and he handed it to the soldier. He said, here you go, kid. Fill it out. Take whatever courses you want. I'll approve it. And the soldier said, I don't know what courses to take. I've never been to college. What should, what should I do? And Walter said, give me the piece of paper. I'll fill it out. He said, these are all the best professors in the school, the most popular professors. These are the best courses. They're all filled. Nobody can get into these classes. They're all trying to get in, but you can't. He said, I'm going to put you in them. I'll approve it. And Walter filled out the form. He signed it. He approved it. And the soldier gave him a check, and he started school the next day. And that's how I got into college. It was the kindness of one guy on a really bad night at work who took two extra minutes out of his life to help somebody he didn't know. I often wonder what my life would have been like had I got one of the other cranks at the table that night. What would have happened to me? And about 15 years later, I was at a party, and I met Walter. And I walked up to him, and I told him the story. And he looked at me. He goes, Dennis, it's a great story, and I appreciate it, but you know, I don't remember you. And I said, Walter, I never forgot you. Now, Walter's long gone and dead, but I still tell the story because it tells the story of how one person in, in a really tough day at work can really change the life of somebody. And as firefighters and as fire officers, eh, maybe we keep that Walter story in the back of our heads to remind us every once in a while that, that we're in the helping business and uh, we can change lives pretty quickly. Yeah, that's a pretty amazing story, and it, it makes you think of that one person that you have the opportunity to help uh, as opposed to brush off, and mm -hmm. how one act of kindness, um, in this case, made a difference in a soldier who uh, will be retiring as the Deputy United States Fire Administrator. I mean, you can't get much... Uh, much more of a success-oriented mentor-style story than what you just told. And I think having uh, that one person give you that break, give you that chance, absolutely made all the difference in your life. Uh, so I appreciate you ter uh, telling that story and, and sharing with our listeners how uh, you know giving someone an opportunity and giving someone a break can make a difference. And that uh, is something that resonates well with me and, and the folks that I talk to daily about uh, doing the right thing. And that uh, sometimes the right thing isn't always uh, a plaque on the wall or a book on the shelf. It, it may just be an act. Uh, it may just be entertaining the person. Uh, so I appreciate you sharing that. So we um, are coming to a close here with uh, this interview, but I want to... Uh, 
give you an opportunity to kind of reflect on your career. Uh, you started in 1971 as a, a firefighter in uh, Jersey City, um, New Jersey, and um, I, I will, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, confirm to everybody that I was six years old when you started <laughs> in the fire Thank service. Thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that, welcome. really, Mark. Thank you. Yeah, but it was uh, just a, a short 10 years later that I joined the fire service myself. So it is uh, phenomenal that for the last 48 years, uh, you've dedicated your life to the fire service uh, beginning in Jersey City. And I thought maybe we could take a second to talk about some of the, the highlights, even the lowlights, and uh, maybe some, some takeaways or some lessons learned for uh, other folks. Thanks, Mark. Um, well, yeah, what a great ride. To be honest, I'm walking, I, and I'm leaving uh, because I want to make sure that that the organization is in good shape. The superintendent is in place right now, uh, Chief Tanya Hoover, and she's doing a great job as a superintendent. We have a new National Fire Programs Director, Rick Patrick. He's doing a great job on the fire prevention and data stuff that I talked about. Our facilities manager, uh, Al Fluman, who most people don't know, but he maintains this 200-year-old campus very well. And um, I want to get out because the United States Fire Administrator, my boss, Keith Bryant, uh, is appointed by the President of the United States. And uh, we're having an election next year. And um, if the President is reelected, um, he can choose or to invite Chief Bryant to stay on or to say to Chief Bryant, thanks for your service, I want to appoint somebody else. Uh, if the president isn't reelected, Chief Bryant will go with the president. They, they all leave office. And I want to make sure that he's the one making the decision as to who replaces me. So if I leave uh, in January, which is the plan, um, the, he will have about 10 or 11 months to advertise and hire uh, someone to come in here. And if anybody is interested in the job, they can contact me, and I'll, I'll send them all the information. Um, I started with a high school diploma as a truckie in Jersey City. Um, I, I, um, I had probably about six or eight months of college by the time I went on the fire department. To be honest with you, I spent uh, 15 years as a firefighter, a lieutenant, and a captain on a ladder company. Dennis O'Neill never got a pint of water out of a pumper in his life. Uh, <laughs> it's goofy, but, I mean, you know, it worked out. So, you know, I went up through the ranks. It's a civil service department, so you, you know, you test for all, all of the ranks. Um, and it was a, a remarkable, remarkable department. We were right next to New York City and right across the river. And I always like to remind people that if you fly over that area in a helicopter and look down at the Statue of Liberty, you'll see that the Statue of Liberty is actually in Jersey City. Don't believe those lion New Yorkers. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I'm not going to enter into that battle during this podcast. <laughs> yeah, um, but um, it was a great career. I had one event uh, which has burned on my soul. Uh, on March 20th, 1993, we had a blizzard in Jersey City. I was in a particular neighborhood checking to see what arterial streets were open and which side streets were closed or blocked off because of the snow. We had a fire come in, uh, long story made short. It was a change of shift time. I was short people because of the blizzard, and uh, there was an off-duty firefighter. We needed to vent the building because we were, we were in pre-backdraft conditions. His name is Carlos Negron, and Carlos was 
watching the fire. He was in a bodega with his son getting a cup of coffee and uh, pastry. And I said, Carlos, help them with this ladder. And they were dropping the ladder in to vent the building windows. And um, when they pulled the ladder back, they slipped in the snow. And the aluminum ladder hit a 13,000-volt power line and killed two firefighters. Um, one of them, uh, Walter Milne, was successfully resuscitated in the hospital, but uh, Carlos didn't survive, and his son saw his father killed at the fire. Mm. Um, and, you know, I pass the memorial every day, and I always think about Carlos and, you know, a number of my other friends on the job. So there's nothing you can do to fix history. I mean, it, you just have to live with that. But um, it has put a passion in my life to do everything I can to to change it. As superintendent, um, I, I just I had a ball every day uh, being the superintendent of the fire academy. I had gone all the way through school. I did my bachelor's degree, a master's degree in public administration. I did a doc in education. So it was kind of a perfect fit. Uh, I was a, at the time when I was a chief in Jersey City. I was also teaching in the uh, the doc program at New York University in education, nothing to do with fire in education. So the combination of fire and education was a kind of a natural fit for me. And um, it's it, I, I love the students. I loved interacting with the students. And, um, and Chief Hoover is a hell of a lot better than that last Superintendent O'Neill. She's doing a great job. Uh, and, yeah. now, and, and now Deputy Fire Administrator, I get to, to do these the kind of things that are kind of changing America, using the data to improve fire, showing fire departments how to get more resources and improve uh, their dis delivery of services, uh, the fire prevention and community risk reduction stuff in our training and our research. It's just uh, a great ride. So um, I, I would hope that all of your listeners have an opportunity for a career like mine. Um, it's... Um, it's just been a great ride, and it's probably the perfect way to end it. Uh, Dr. Neal, I appreciate you spending time with us this afternoon. Thank you, Mark.